Hebrews 13. Once you've found verse number 8 of that chapter, if you would, if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And we'll be reading from verse 8 down through verse number 12. Hebrews 13, 8 through 12. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. We'll look at verse 13 down through much of the rest of the chapter in the weeks to come. But tonight, we're going to turn our attention to these five or six verses. The title of the the, the Bible study is this, Relationship versus Religion. Relationship versus religion. There is a whole lot of religion in the world. And can I tell you that religion, in, the, in this sense, seeps into the Baptist church as well. And if we're not careful, we lean more on the ritualism of our church involvement than we do our relationship with Jesus Christ to define our Christianity. We're going to look at this idea tonight of a relationship versus religion, and I want all of us to ask ourselves, which one do I have? Which one do I really have? Let's pray together. Lord, help us tonight to be challenged. Lord, this was written to Hebrews as they were going back and forth between Judaism and Christianity. Lord, I believe a lot of Independent Baptist Christians struggle with just the routine of the Christian life defining their faith instead of a relationship. So, Lord, help us to make the points that are applicable to us today in the church. And, Lord, help us to leave here determined to enrich our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Relationship versus religion. Oftentimes when I'm out sharing my faith with other people, uh, I'll get asked this question. What is different between a Baptist and a fill-in-the-blank? Around here, generally, it's Catholic. I had a lady ask me sometime back, I was out uh, doing some soul winning on a Saturday morning, and the lady said to me, can you tell me what the difference is between a Baptist and a Catholic? And I said I'd be happy to. Actually, the verses right here on the back of this gospel tract tell us exactly what's different between a Catholic and a Baptist. And I proceeded down the Romans road and paused where I could to point out a difference in doctrine and was able to get her to bow her head and receive Christ. One of the things I told her as we went down the Romans road, one of the things I explained to her is that the Catholic Church points to religion Whereas, if you come to a Baptist church, at least our Baptist church, we're going to push you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. Now, uh, where, where, do, uh, where do people seem to fall in the religion relationship trap? Let me take a moment and address this before I get into our uh, notes tonight. Um, I believe that uh, a lot of people... Uh, today, whether they're Catholic or uh, they're Mormon or rather is Islamic uh, or uh, Buddhist or Hindus, their, their, their mosques or their temples or their synagogues or in some cases what they would call their church buildings are steeped in ritualism. When I was a young boy and I got sick, uh, maybe I had a cold uh, uh, and I was maybe feeling um, a, a, a cold, cold sweats and shivers, and I just didn't feel good. My mom would uh, 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 fire up the stove and would make chicken noodle soup. How many of you here have ever had 
chicken noodle soup to help soothe you on a cold day when you didn't feel good. And you know what that chicken noodle soup was? It was comfort food. It was that warm, if you will, warm blanket to my soul. In fact, there was a series of books released entitled Chicken Soup for the Soul, right? That was popular in the early 2000s, I believe that was. And for a lot of people, can I tell you what the ritualism of their church is? It's like chicken soup for their religious soul. They feel closer to God when they repeat prayers after the priest or they bow down X amount of times toward uh, their holy city or they bow down and worship an idol or they, uh, 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 genuflect I believe that's called, or they do the rosary, it makes them feel somehow closer to God. It's like a, it's like a warm blanket for them on a cold day. It is what helps them feel closer to God. And a lot of folks who fall into the religious trap, they're not uh, saved, but they feel they have a false premise that they're close to God, but they don't have a relationship. What they have is a religion, is a religion. And uh, can I tell you, though, that Baptists oftentimes are guilty of the same thing? We have our sacred cows. I wonder if any of you are like me in that there, were, there have been times in my 32 years of being saved where I didn't really read my Bible or pray very much, but I felt like a good person because I went to church and I sang the hymns and I listened to the preaching and I went to Sunday school and I shook everyone's hands and I knew how to wear a tie and I knew how to carry my Bible and I even knew how to go out soul winning but I wasn't reading my Bible, and I wasn't praying. How many of you have ever fallen into that trap at some point in your Christian life? You know what that is? That's religion. But that's not relationship. That's not relationship. There are people who say, well, pastor, then um, um, I read my Bible and pray. I don't need to go to church. And I'd say, no, 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 no. You need both. You need both. There are um, two analogies, uh, two parallels, or uh, rather two examples the Bible gives to describe itself in the New Testament. The Bible is described by Paul to the church of Corinth as meat, as meat. It, uh, this is meat, spiritual meat. Uh, picture a large chunk of meat. Uh, put down in front of you that's raw, that needs to be cooked. Now imagine milk, okay? You have the meat of the Word and you have the milk of the Word. When you first get saved and you first start growing in the Lord, you don't have the spiritual teeth to, to eat meat. In fact, if you give a piece of steak to a baby, uh, they're either not going to be able to eat it or they're just going to choke on it and they're going to die. And a lot of times, young Christians will sit down with the Bible on their own and they attempt to read it and study it and understand it. And to be honest, uh, they choke on it a little bit. They're not really able to digest a whole lot. But the Bible says in Second uh, Peter, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may... Uh, that they may grow thereby. And so you come to church and or you attend a, a church service with a pastor or you go to a life group or you show up at a Bible study and maybe you get a devotional uh, to, to, to add along with your Bible reading. And what is that? Someone else has taken the meat of the Word and they've processed it and they've turned it into milk of the Word and you take in the milk of the Word. And you know what? As you take in enough spiritual milk, you begin to develop spiritual Teeth, and then you can eat spiritual meat. And so you grow to the place where you can eat the Word of God. You can digest the Word of God on your own. I've, I've known Christians who've been saved 20, 30, and even 40 years, and they still have no spiritual teeth. They've just not grown. They're still babes in Christ. Now, I would say this. Um, is it just enough to have the meat of the Word without the milk of the Word? It is not. You need... Preaching, and you need uh, personal devotions. You need preaching, and you need 
personal devotions. You need a pastor to stand up and open up the Bible and say, Thus saith the Lord, and, and, and explain the Scriptures, and teach you the Scriptures, and help you understand the Scriptures, and rightly divide the Word of Truth. But then you need to be able to go home and open the Bible and read it and say, Lord, speak to me and show me the way. And so both are necessary. And uh, those of you that are just living off spiritual milk, you're expecting Pastor Lejeune to feed you Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Hey, praise God, you come to church three times a week. But can I tell you something? If all you did was eat milk three times a week or drink milk three times a week, and that was your diet, you'd be pretty malnourished pretty quick. You need to learn how to be able to feed yourself. And so let's not just have religion Let's have a relationship. Well, let's jump into Hebrews 13 tonight and let's attempt to understand exactly what God is trying to teach us through these verses. Number one, notice the foundation of true faith. The foundation of true faith. Look at verse number eight. Uh, and, and this will overlap a little bit with our message Sunday evening. Jesus Christ. You want to know who the foundation of your faith is? <laughs> That's him right there. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, uh, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We're going to look at the second part of verse 9 in just a minute. Go back to the beginning of verse 9. And notice there it says, Be not carried away with diverse divers or diverse and strange doctrines. How is it that we avoid strange doctrines? Can I tell you how? You get to know the Lord Jesus Christ on a deep personal level, and you know what? You'll be able to identify the counterfeit of a false doctrine really quick. Let me give you some thoughts below um, uh, this. Letter A, notice, the Christian's Savior. The Christian's Savior. Look at verse number 8 again. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's take a little bit, let's take a moment here, and let's talk about Jesus Christ. Now, Sunday evening, I said to you that Jesus is the hero of heaven, and Jesus is the hero of the Bible, and Jesus is supposed to be the hero of the church. And make sure you attend a church that makes much of Jesus Christ, that talks about Him a lot, and uh, and, and and teaches you the doctrines about Him, and and helps you understand every aspect of His life, and helps you understand uh, uh, the now, the doctrine of salvation, which is the most near and dear uh, to him. Make sure that the church you attend and the preachers that you listen to make much of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is not just supposed to be the hero of heaven and not just supposed to be the highlight of Scripture. He is supposed to be the hero of the church. And so we're to make a big deal out of him. Now watch this. The church is made up of individual Christians who attend here. How is it that White Oak Baptist Church will make Jesus our corporate hero? Can I tell you how? When the individuals that make up this church have Jesus as their individual hero. Jesus needs to be the person that you turn to and look to at all times. At all times. Is Jesus the number one person in front of you that you are seeking to be like. To be like Jesus, to be like Him. To be like the one I love in everything the song says. And it ought to be that He is high and lifted up in our life and everything that we say and think and do goes back to what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Many of you remember the popular um, bracelets from the 1990s. What would Jesus do? Hey, listen, let's not just make it something that we wear uh, around our, our, our wrists. Let's make it a, a question we live our life by. What would Jesus do? Notice below the Christian Savior. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Now, the name Jesus back in Bible times was a common name. In fact, when uh, people heard the name Jesus, they didn't think much of it. The Old Testament name for Jesus is the name 
Joshua. And so Jesus was just the, uh, the translated version of Joshua. And Joshua is a common name today. And if Jesus, if the Christ had not been named Jesus, then Jesus would probably be a common name today. So when Jesus came along and he was just a common man, uh, as many people saw him, boy, it became known pretty quick once he began, began his public ministry. This isn't just any ordinary Jesus. This Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one that was promised way, way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. He is the fulfillment of all of the covenants that were made with Abraham and Noah and David. And Jesus is the Christ. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 16 with me. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 13. Jesus had his uh, earthly ministry for quite a while. Now, please understand, Jesus did not walk around flaunting himself as the Christ, shoving it in everyone's face and uh, with some sort of, of arrogant, you better bow down and kiss the ring on my finger. I am the Christ. No, in fact, Jesus uh, uh, went out of his way to tell people to keep it hush and keep it quiet. Here we'll see in Matthew 16, he asks his disciples to keep it under their hat for the time being. Look at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, and Elias, and others, uh, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Uh, and Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ. What a, what a declaration. The Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee thy Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Look down to verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. The Christ. Uh, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is our Messiah. He is our Christ. Now, practically, what does that mean? We hear the name Jesus Christ thrown around, unfortunately, in a way that is unholy and profane far too often. What does that mean? You know what that means? That means that Jesus was the promised one from God sent to save us from our sins. You see, many people think that they can earn their way to heaven by being a good person. If that was the case, then why did Jesus need to send someone to die in our place? Adam and Eve uh, were told, you eat that fruit, ye shall surely die. And you know what? Adam and Eve are dead. But something died that day inside of Adam and Eve, and it wasn't their body. It was their soul. And God looked at Adam and Eve after he confronted their sin and he said, One day, Eve, I'm going to send through your womb a Messiah, a child that will rescue you and your people. There may be somebody here tonight that thinks that they can get to heaven by being a good person or by living a moral life. And I would tell you that if you believe that, you are, you are uh, grossly mis- mistaken. You are making a grave mistake. I wish I had the quote in front of me, but I read a quote earlier today that said uh, someone uh, who, uh, who is an awful person oftentimes perceives themselves as being a good person. And people who uh, have some sense of self-awareness realize just how debased and sinful they are. If we were to take uh, the thoughts that we think, how many sins do we commit in an hour or in a four or five hour span just in our mind alone? My friend, you are not a good person. Because the Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not one person that is righteous. That's why Jesus had to leave heaven's throne. Be born through the womb of a virgin named Mary. That's why Jesus' life was set on a course to die. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. I'm a sinner, I've broken God's moral law, and I'm guessing you have as well. Now watch this. Romans 5.8 says, Christ died 
for us. You see what he did there? We deserve death. And, and, and we deserve hell for all of eternity. God sent Jesus to this earth to become death for us. He, uh, the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, uh, he, knew, he who knew no sin became our sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. He is the promised one. The Messiah. Christo. Christ. Who came to set us free, to die in our place. The foundation of my uh, Christian life, the foundation of true faith is not me being a good person. It's not me being baptized as a baby. It's not some ritual. It's not some uh, formality that I go through at church. Watch this now. The foundation of true faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. Him crucified, risen from the dead, and my faith in Him and Him alone. If there's not ever been a day in your life where you've turned from your unbelief or believe in anything but Jesus and repented from that unbelief and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, then my friend, make that day today the foundation of true faith. We're looking at letter A, the Christian Savior. We said Jesus is the Christ. Notice next, Jesus never changes. Jesus never changes. Look back at verse number 8 of Hebrews chapter 13. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I won't dwell here, dwell here long, but we live in a world where everything changes around us all the time. Uh, I change. I feel like I stand on the scale and each morning I weigh a little bit more. And I look in the, the, the mirror and I have less hair and more wrinkles. I wish I had less wrinkles and more hair. Amen? But it's the other way around. And uh, I'm getting older. And uh, my wife's still just as beautiful as always. And my kids are growing up. And they're changing. And uh, life, life comes at you fast. And, you know, relationships change. And, and everything around us is constantly changing. Aren't you glad that if Jesus Christ is the foundation of your faith, that your feet are on a rock that never changes? Aren't you glad for that this evening? Make sure Jesus is your foundation. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that, uh, that th- there's a foundation laid uh, that, 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 that cannot be uh, moved. I'm misquoting the verse, but that foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus never changes. Notice next, Jesus deserves our choice. Jesus deserves our choice. Turn over to Romans chapter 5 and verse number 10. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 10. We were in Romans 5 on Sunday morning when we looked at being the enemy of God and we read verses 6 through 10. We're going to pick back up in verse 10 and we're going to read down through verse number 15 here. Romans chapter 5. And notice that uh, Jesus is available for everyone, but you must make the choice to make Him the foundation of your faith. By default, no one is a Christian. Let me say that again. By default, no one is a Christian. You aren't born a Christian. You are born, in fact, a hellion, hell-bound. You are born a sinner, bent away from God. And there must be a point in your life where you understand you're a sinful and you need to choose Christ. It is a choice. Look at verse number 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the notice the hero of our faith, our foundation. Notice the choice that must be made. By whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. For until the law, uh, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Or what verse 13 is saying is, you would not know what sin is without a moral law to tell you. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him uh, uh, that was to come. Verse 15, look here. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. If you mark in your Bible, would you underline those words, is the free gift? For if through the offense of one, many be dead, the offense of Adam, many be dead, many die, many are separated from God, much more the grace of God and the 
Underline these next three words. Gift by grace. Those three words are the key to understanding this passage. Gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded until many. What is this saying here? It's saying that Jesus Christ, in order for Him to be the foundation of your faith... It is a free gift. And as a free gift, you cannot buy it with your good works. You cannot buy it with your religiosity. You cannot buy it uh, by, uh, by, by being baptized. You cannot buy it uh, uh, by giving money or being a philanthropist. No. The only way you can have a gift is if you open your hands and freely accept it. I'm so glad that on April 8th, 1988, as a small child, I opened my heart and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. You did the work to purchase salvation on the cross. And I am making the choice to choose that gift and have it in my life right now. Can you tonight point to a time in your life where you accepted that gift? Oh, you may not know the date. You may not know the time. But you ought to know the location and you ought to know the details. You ought to know the location. You ought to remember where you were. You ought to remember who you were speaking with or whether or not you were even speaking to someone. Maybe it was just the Lord you were communing with. But you ought to know those details and there must be that choice. Can I just say this to those of you here tonight that are saved, which is the large majority of you. Salvation is not just the diving board. It is the swimming pool. And uh, we must continue to choose Christ each and every day. No, our salvation is once and final, but that That relationship choice is each and every day. For Christ to be the foundation underneath our feet. Oh, again, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about daily living. For Christ to be the foundation beneath our feet, we must wake up every morning and crucify the flesh and choose Christ. The foundation of true faith. Notice number two, the formalism of false religion. The formalism of false religion. I I skipped a point here. Let me back up here. Letter B, the Christian's spirit. The Christian spirit. Go back to uh, Hebrews 13. Hold your place in Romans 5. Uh, We're going to come back to Romans 5 in just a moment. Look at verse number 9. It says here, Be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. This next phrase is key, I believe, to understanding um, uh, the idea of Jesus. Look here. For it is a good thing that the heart be established. What are those next two words? What are they? With grace. The heart be established with grace. I meet a lot of Christians who are just downright mean. They, they're arrogant. They have a corner on the truth. And they're going to tell everyone else how stupid they are. Because they just don't agree with them. You know what the Bible says about Jesus in John chapter 1? It says he was full of two things. You know what they were? Grace and truth. Hey, it's good to be right. It's also important to be nice while you're being right. You understand what I'm saying here? Some of you need to be nicer. Right? The Bible says, let not your good be evil spoken of. Some of you do good... But boy, you sure give a lot of people reason to complain about the way you do it. Right? Does grace define you the way it defined Jesus? The Christian spirit. Boy, um, one preacher famously said, I, I don't care if I offend people with my position, but I sure don't want to offend anyone with my disposition. How about you, Christian? Does grace define you? Are you gracious? Are you kind? If somebody says something to you that you disagree with, do you feel the need that you must straighten them out right there on the spot? They must know that they're wrong. Hey, you know, sometimes it's good to just smile and say, all right. Now, I'm not saying you should just let someone live in error. Boy, uh, certain things, it's important that you correct, but be gracious about it. Be gracious about it. The Christian's Savior, boy, that's truth. That's Jesus Christ. He doesn't change. He's our Savior. He's our Christ. 
Uh, uh, he should be our daily choice. The Christian spirit, and next to that, put the word grace. The Christian spirit is grace. Look back over at Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans chapter 5, and look back at verse number 15. We're going to read down through the end of the chapter, I believe it is. Um, yes, the end of the chapter. Look, look at verse 15. And notice how that this idea of, 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 of the gift of eternal life and grace are, are just, they come together as if they're one. Look here. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if the offense of one, many be dead. So uh, Adam offered heaven an offense. How did heaven retaliate? Look here. Much more the grace of God. The offense was answered with grace. And the gift by grace. The offense was answered by a gift. Uh, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Boy, the offense of sin of mankind. The raunchy stench of sin of mankind was answered by the sweet-smelling savor of the death of Christ on the cross. Verse 16, And not as, as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace... And of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by uh, the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, and the first one is Adam, the second one is the second Adam or Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto uh, justification of life. For as by one man disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I love verse 19. Uh, uh, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded I love this grace grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ boy we offered up to God our offense our sinful offense and you know what he offered us back he offered us grace he offered us forgiveness he offered us eternal life. God said, uh, uh, your offense is putrid. It's awful. It, 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 is, it, is, uh, it, it is something I condemn. It's something that I judge. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what, before I judge your sin, I'm going to give you the free gift of salvation I purchased through grace. And if you'll accept that, then you can forego the condemnation. You know what we need in America today? We need Christians who will just learn to be gracious. We need Christians who will learn to take the offense of others and respond with graciousness. Number two, the formalism of false religion. Look back at verse number nine. The Bible says, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. Okay. Now, let me pause here. We looked at the middle of the verse. Let's talk about diverse and strange doctrines. First, first thing I want to tell you tonight is that perverse or diverse, and perverse as well, but diverse and strange doctrines generally come when we either delete Jesus Christ out of the religion or we alter Jesus Christ within the religion. People want to mess around with that doctrine. Boy, they'll muddy the waters on the virgin birth. They'll fool around with whether or not the blood matters. Uh, they'll, 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 they'll question whether or not Jesus was sinless or if his death on the cross is really enough to save us or if our works after we get saved are necessary to guard and keep our salvation. Look, look there. The Bible says diverse. There's a variety of them and strange doctrines. Uh, it says, for it is a good thing that the heart be established by grace. Look here. Not with Meats. What's that talking about? That's talking about burnt. Or that's talking about animals offered up on an altar, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. All right. Notice letter A. Established rituals. Established rituals. 
By the way, let me prove to you that verse 9 is talking about uh, uh, sacrifices in the tabernacle and temple. Look, at, look down at verse number 10. We have an altar. So there's the idea of altars. Meats go on the altar. Those are those animal sacrifices on the altar. Look down at uh, verse number 11. For the bodies of those beasts, again referring to animal, animal sacrifice, whose blood is brought in the sanctuary of the high priest. So verse 9 is, when it uses the word meats, it's talking about Old Testament sacrifice, established rituals. You know, I have uh, known a lot of people who are Catholic. And I'll speak to Catholicism here for a moment because it's the one I'm most familiar with. But I'll tell you that this is true in Hinduism. It's true in Buddhism. It's true in Islam. It's true in a slew of other religions around the world. And you know what these religions are built around? They're built around rituals. You know, if you attend a Catholic church service... You're pretty, much, uh, you're pretty much going to have the same service week after week after week. Now, the homily might be slightly different, but everything else, the prayers are the same. I went to a funeral once um, for a church member here who had a family member who was Catholic, died, and I went to support the church member. I've, I've done that a few times. I did it for Brother Owens. I did it for Mark Bonitonibus and I believe Joy Magnarella, maybe a couple of other people. And one of the, look, I have my favorite things I do as being a pastor. One of my least favorite things is sitting through a Catholic funeral. I'm just being honest. I, I, it's, it's drudgery. It's awful. And, but I'll tell you one thing I'm amazed by at these Catholic funerals. The priests will begin a prayer, and those who are faithful to the Catholic Church know exactly what to say. They know the next words. How many of you attended a Catholic Church and know exactly what I'm talking about? And you know why that is? They're into ritualism. Ritualism. And you know what? Satan's been using the same old bag of tricks. You see, where did ritualism come from? Did you know it came from God in the Bible? God gave the Israelites a set of rituals to perform in the Old Testament. But those rituals were not to be worshipped. Those rituals were meant to be an arrow that pointed to Christ. Let me show you what I mean. All right? I believe there's um, uh, space for this in your bulletin. Maybe not. Okay, no, I, in fact, I, there isn't. But below established rituals are off to the side. Maybe you could write this down. Notice the animal sacrifices. Verse 9, 10, and 11 mention the animal sacrifices. Now, there were um, five main offerings found in the book of Leviticus that were rituals that were laid out by God through Moses to the Israelites, all right? They were um, the burnt offering, the meat offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, and the peace offering. Those five. And if you've ever read through Leviticus and been left to scratch your head and think, what in the world does that mean? The call above the liver and burning the carcass on the outside and pouring the blood on the ground and sprinkling some here and sprinkling some there. And How in the world does this apply to my daily living, right? And so uh, uh, animal sacrifices. You go ahead, th- go ahead and throw that picture up there for me. Um, uh, you see there uh, the brazen altar. Yes. And uh, that, that, this is a, a replica of the tabernacle there. But the brazen altar sat inside of a courtyard. We'll see a picture zoomed out in a few minutes. Now, a couple of things about that brazen altar. They would bring an animal in that was to be offered, and they would tie it down to the four horns that were on that altar. There were four horns that stuck up on the four corners, and you would use that as a place to tie off a rope to get that animal down on the altar as you would put a knife in it. And you would take your hands, and you would lay it on the head of that animal for a sin or trespass offering, and you would transfer guilt of your sin onto that animal, and then the animal would be butchered and killed, and the blood would be poured out. All of that was symbolic of Jesus. By the way, those four horns around the altar uh, were very clearly instructed by God to Moses that they were to be made out of wood and wrapped in metal. Jesus was nailed with metal to a wooden cross. Everything about the tabernacle and the temple and uh, the, 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 the five sacrifices and the altar that they were taught, tied down to and the gathering of the blood and the pouring it on the ground, all of it was a ritual, but all of it pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what these Israelites had a problem with? They had a problem with worshiping the ritual instead of worshiping the Christ 
that the ritual pointed to. The animal sacrifices. Here's another one. The mystique of the priests. The mystique of the priests. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, priests are held high and they have a a, a, a holy uh, halo almost that hangs over their head. And I'm, I'm talking about these uh, fake priests, if you will, that are, I call them fake priests. And look, and if a Catholic's watching this, they're going to be highly offended by this tonight. This is a Baptist church. If you don't like that, then, you know, tune in and watch a Catholic service. Amen. Uh, but I would just say this, that we don't need any more priests because the book of Hebrews explains that Jesus is the final priest. Amen. Priesthood of the believer, meaning you go straight to God, and Jesus is our priest. And so your priest at your Catholic church is a counterfeit, he's a phony, and he's trying to take the place of Jesus. And ooh, that's not a good thing to try to do. The mystique of the priest, their wardrobe. You see the priest there on your screen, their wardrobe. Every part of their wardrobe had something to do with pointing to Christ. Everything. I would encourage you to get into the Bible and study it. By the way, if you want to study the wardrobe, go study Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 28 lays out their wardrobe. How about their responsibilities? Their responsibilities of the priests. Everything about their responsibilities tied back into, uh, uh, tied back into this idea of, um, uh, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how about their access to God? They were able to enter into uh, the, the holy place and the holy of holies. The term holy of holies is actually not found in the Bible, but the mercy seat, the throne room and the mercy seat was. And they were able to have special access to God. And you know what the people did? They were in awe of the mystique of the priesthood. And you get the, the garment and uh, the ability to have access to God on another level. And these Jewish Christians had a hard time letting that go. The mystique of the priest. How about one more here? How about the tabernacle or the temple? The tabernacle or the temple. And you notice um, a couple of things about it. It's beauty. Exodus 35 through 40, lay out the beauty of the tabernacle. Now, that picture on your screen is an animated version and sort of gives you a cut-in view of what it would have looked like on the inside. But it was a beautiful thing. And by the way, the way that the tribes were instructed to be laid out around the tabernacle as they traveled through uh, the desert, they, were, they traveled from a bird's-eye view in the shape of a cross across the desert. The tabernacle was at the center of that cross. And it was beautiful. You go into the average mosque or church building today, a Catholic church building today, what you find is a building that is breathtaking. There's a reason for that. Because they want you to go in there and feel something. It's feeling oriented. And not only its beauty, but the tabernacle or temple was a place where God resided. They had a history with these things. Now, I want you to understand what these Jews were up against. Now, Hebrews was written to Jews who had accepted Christ and were being tempted to go back into Judaism. Can you understand the drawback into Judaism? For thousands of years, your ancestors have been involved in animal sacrifice. For thousands of years, you've gone to a temple and you've had priests and you've made journeys and trips and your whole family heritage and lineage and everything you've done has been wrapped around this idea and now you're being told that the temple is just some other building and that you are the temple boy that was difficult for him and here uh, he's saying listen jesus christ is way more powerful than your established rituals i'll make this point of application here Make sure that you're careful not to fall into a set of Baptist rituals. Hey, sometimes around here, we introduce a new song. Or we change up the order of service. Or we change up the service time. Or we'll change up the name of what we call the ministry. We're changing things up. Why? Because we don't want you to fall into the, uh, the, the trap of worshiping the Baptist way of doing things. You know what the Baptist way of doing things ought to be? Worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, Him high and lifted up. Amen? As long as it pleases Him, we ought to be for it. Established rituals. Notice, uh, a letter B, notice, empty rituals. 
empty rituals. Look back at verse uh, number 9 there. Verse number 9 says, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Now, what does that mean? Which hath not profited them. Here's what that means. That animal that they tied down to that altar and sacrificed, it was only good to point to the Messiah. And you know what? They would put that up there, and for a trespass offering, that was for a sin that was committed unintentionally. And for the sin offering, that was put up there for when they stole or did something wrong, and uh, they, were, uh, they were having their sins forgiven in that very moment. But you know what? Those animals had to be followed up by another animal. Because that animal wasn't enough. But when Jesus came and He died on the cross, His death was enough. His death was enough. Those rituals led to the need for more rituals. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that death was once and final. Boy, His death on the cross was enough to stop the rituals in their tracks. We see the foundation. We see the formalism. Notice number three, the fulfillment of the rituals. Jesus is the fulfillment. Look at verse number 10 and 11. And and by the way, point three will segue in into the Bible study next week. Look here. We have an altar. This altar is speaking of the cross. We have an altar whereof they, the priests, the Aaronic priests, have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Well, you, you, they would use the, food, the, the, the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices on that brazen altar. They would, eat off of, they would eat of the meat off those sacrifices. And here what he's saying is, uh, don't be so consumed with that altar in the temple in Jerusalem. No, 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 no. Your altar, since you're a Christian, is not some brazen altar where an animal is offered. No, your altar is the cross that Jesus died on. That altar is so sacred and holy that these priests cannot eat off of the what was sacrificed up there. Verse 11. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Letter A, notice the sanctity of the cross. The sanctity of the cross. Sometimes, as believers... We, we put way too much emphasis on something that is more minor in nature. Something that should not have our emphasis. Here, they were focused on the altar and the temple. And God said, listen, that served its purpose and place. And that had, uh, that, had a, 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 that had a fulfillment. That had a reason for why it was in Israel. But that's no longer important. Your altar is the cross. Hey, Christian, let's keep our focus on the sanctity of the cross. It's the cross where Jesus died. Hey, listen, don't fight with someone else in the church over something that isn't all that important. You keep your focus on the cross and you make sure it's Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. That's what we're here for. You may have a disagreement or argument with a brother or sister. You might have a personality clash with someone here in the church. There may not be someone here that you just don't get along with real well. Ask this question. Do they worship the Jesus on the cross? And do I worship Jesus who died on the cross? Then we have a common bond together. The sanctity of the cross. Boy, let's make much of Jesus Christ and let's minimalize everything else. Notice next, letter B, the sanctuary and the blood. The sanctuary and the blood. Look at verse number 11 with me. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin. Now, what, what was blood in the Bible? It was a symbol of life. The Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that blood that was shed of those animals would be put in a basin and would be taken around and the priest would dip hyssop in there and sprinkle it on the tent and sprinkle it on the altar and sprinkle it around uh, uh, the various parts of the tabernacle. What was he doing? He was purifying it with the life representation of that blood. You know, they would go into the Holy of Holies and they would sprinkle that on the mercy seat in order to have the sins of that nation forgiven for one more year on the Day of Atonement. But then Jesus came along and He took His own blood 
and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat in heaven. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12. We're almost done. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12. The Bible tells us, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. We know from the book of Revelation that there is a temple in heaven. And God went into the temple in heaven. He went into the Holy of Holies in heaven where the mercy seat in heaven is. And as our high priest, he took his own blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat of heaven. And he atoned for our sins. Boy, Jesus, it's his blood that sets us free. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If the blood of Jesus has not been applied to the doorpost of your heart, and your sins have not been washed away, boy, please don't leave here tonight until that's done. Let her see, notice, the suffering without the camp. The suffering without the camp. We're almost done. Look, look back at verse number 12 with me. It says, Wherefore Jesus also... Actually, back up to verse 11. For the body of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. They would take the carcasses of the animals once they had been sacrificed there in that tabernacle. They would take their carcasses outside of the camp and they would burn them. Look at verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Boy, we know... Uh, that in Exodus 29.14, the Jews were instructed to take the uh, animals outside the camp after they'd been sacrificed and to burn them. And then in John 19, verse 16 and 17, Pilate ordered to have Jesus crucified and they led him out of town, the outskirts of town, and they had him crucified outside of the camp, outside of the city. You know what he's saying here to the Jews, Jewish Christians? He's saying, take your focus out of the temple, which is in the city of Jerusalem, and put your focus on your Christ, who is crucified outside the camp. Put your eyes on Jesus. Now, uh, Christians, this passage pushes us to have a relationship with Jesus. And you come back next week... In fact, you can study ahead. The rest of the chapter, you know what the rest of the chapter is? It tells us that have been saved by the blood of Jesus, it tells us how a model Christian is supposed to live. It lays out for us in the rest of the chapter exactly what God expects for a Christian who's been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And I would just say tonight, listen, it's not enough to have religion. I'm glad you come to White Oak Baptist Church. I'm glad you're watching online, those of you that are watching online. And I'm glad that you uh, call the God of Heaven your God. Do you know about Him or do you know Him? You see, when I was a little boy, I was obsessed with basketball. I was obsessed with Michael Jordan. And I knew a lot about Michael Jordan. I knew his stats and, and I knew how many points he had scored and games, and I knew how many playoff games he'd won, and I knew how tall he was, and how high he could jump, and I had every highlight down. I knew a lot about Michael Jordan, but I didn't personally know Michael Jordan. A lot of Christians, they know a lot about Jesus Christ. They know the books of the Bible, and they can quote verses, and, and they know a lot about him theologically. But boy, they don't really know Jesus. Are you reading your Bible, and are you praying? Are you walking with God? Boy, I would encourage you to do that tonight. Let's not be stuck in a religion. Let's have a relationship. Let's stand together for a word of prayer tonight. I hope the Bible study was an encouragement to you. I hope you have a better understanding of Hebrews 13. And uh, those verses are a little bit tricky, but I hope you have a better understanding of them uh, now. Let's make sure we're not guilty of ritualism. Let's put Jesus first. Amen.